I think it's really important to find a mentor early on, someone that's going to enjoy the style of dentistry that you like doing. Welcome to the Dental Head Start Podcast. I'm David Keir and this is a special episode. Everyone from UCED will agree, Dr. D or Dr. Susie Dracopoulos is one of the most influential people if you've been through that school. Dr. D was the the first person to speak with, with us when we got into our first lecture at university. She's the person who would train us through the preclinical years and really support us and keep us in line and keep us motivated. And I think there's a special place for those people because that is it sets our trajectory in our career. So to bring her on the podcast, it, it's a great honor. And Dr. Dracopoulos, she has a lot to share. Susie has done a lot in her career and she's taken a few different lines. She's been a private practitioner and she's got a lot to share around the different jobs she has. She then went into university. She worked with the University of Sydney for many years, uh, running the program, running the preclinical, being a mentor, and she really talks passionately about this. She's recently pivoted into working with 3M, and this is something that's fascinating to learn about and to hear the pathway that people can take if it's something you're interested in. You're still helping grow the profession and training dentists. It's just another way to do it. I always enjoy the chats with the great people we have on this podcast, but Dr. D is special. So thank you, Dr. D, and I hope that you said students in particular enjoy this podcast. Stick around. At the end, we have the Ripe Global segment, and today we have Dr. Lincoln Harris talking about uncontrolled depression in patients and the risks and the important things we need to consider if our patients are suffering such a challenging problem. It's an eye-opener. Stick around at the end of this episode. For now, enjoy the chat with Dr. Susie Dracopoulos. It can be pretty stressful managing the transition from student to professional. Luckily, BOQ Specialist recognizes this and they're here to make the next steps in your career a little easier. Their career startup banking package includes an everyday bank account, an optional overdraft, a credit card with no fees for five years and an optional car loan. Payments towards the optional overdraft are not required until 1st of July the year after you graduate, which really makes a difference to your bottom line. BOQ Specialist really helped me when I graduated, so if they can help you transition from student to professional, then get in touch with them. Terms and conditions apply. See boqspecialist.com.au for more details. Dr. Susie Dracopoulos, it is such an honor to have you on the Dental Head Start podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for the invitation. So, people out there, some people will know exactly who I'm talking to. Of course, it's Dr. D and we all know you really, really well, but some probably don't know you as well. And um, you're, you're pretty um, integral in most of our development as a dentist. You take, have taken students to dentists um, through Sydney Uni and I was one of those. And I remember that first day we, you know, all of us turn up to Sydney Uni and we go to the first lecture theatre and um, we have you know, no idea what's going on. We we're just meeting people and there's Dr. D telling us and welcoming us and making us feel comfortable. So, I remember that day so clearly, Dr. D. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> uh, that that's actually my best or the most fun day of the year. I really love Orientation <laughs> Week. So, um, it was so great to meet everyone and just look at all your faces. And I remember where you guys still sit sometimes, even in the Sim Clinic, especially you, David. I actually do remember <laughs> where you were sitting. So, um, I don't always remember names, but I remember the faces. 
<laughs> I've got two points. Like, does it go downhill from um, orientation week? And I do want to know, how do you remember my place? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, I just remember certain students, um, not all students. Look, to tell you the truth, I remember the really good students and then I remember the ones that <laughs> get my attention, so to speak. Um, so, no, look, I love it. I loved, I love that part, um, especially first years. It, the transformation from first year to, to even to fourth year and when I sit in some of the um, – you know, the what were they called, the SOC exams um, later on. Like it's just amazing to watch um, students just blossom and, you know, the information that just comes out of their mouth and the confidence, it's just that's just that's just that's what made my, my job awesome. That's that's really cool. I can imagine that transformation. It's it's a lot that goes into those four years and a lot of people who are listening are obviously students and they'll still be studying and they'll still be working on that. So, we're going to get into a lot of that kind of stuff. I'm sure you have a lot of information to share but what, what inspired you to get so deep into the teaching role within dentistry? Oh, this might go back to what I wanted to do when I left high school because when it came down to getting a HSC results, I had two choices. Um, I either wanted to be a dentist or get this, I wanted to be a maths teacher. So um, they were my (laughs) two choices. So for me, it was, I really like dentistry. And if you want me to tell that story, I I think I may tell that story (laughs) in orientation. You probably remember that one. Um, Let me me tell the others that haven't heard it. So um, the story is that when I was in primary school, we used to have these little caravans that used to come to, to school and I'm not sure. I, I think they still exist somewhere. Um, they're maybe not caravans. They're probably demountables now. But you'd, you'd go in there and there would be these dentists. I used to think they were dentists, um, you know, checking your teeth. They had the sparkly um, instruments. I was just fascinated with, with what they were doing. So I'd made up my mind when I was 12 that I wanted to be a dentist. And um, and that's 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 what started it for me. It's interesting. A lot of people who've gone to those vans, you know, they're patients, and they tell you stories that they didn't enjoy. What do you think made you enjoy that experience with the dental van? I don't know what it was. I think I was just fascinated with what they were doing. I I don't know whether it was the smell or I I just don't, I don't know. But as a kid, somehow I was fascinated. I obviously wasn't scared of going to to see the dentist or go mm, to the caravan mm. when I was asked to go. So I was fascinated with what they did and I thought, this is really cool. So for some reason, um, it sparked my interest and I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to help people. I want to, um, you know, um, be part of, of this, this group of people that, you know, drive around these little vans. But... Here I am. I got into dentistry. So I had two choices and I remember sitting at the front stairs of my um, my place and my dad, I was waiting for the mailman to bring you, you know, your HSC results because that doesn't happen these days, does it? You get an SMS. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was, I was waiting at the steps and my dad was waiting behind me and he's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And he goes, you know, maybe you should do medicine. And I'm like, no, I want to be a dentist. And if I'm not going to be a dentist, I want to be a maths teacher. And he just looked at me and I could just tell he just thought I was an, you know, I was an idiot. I was like, what do you mean a maths teacher? <laughs> but I was really inspired by my maths teacher in year eight. I really enjoyed um, the way she taught. And I thought, you know what, if I can't do dentistry, I want to teach maths. So 
don't ask me why, but it was a weird combination. So, um, so that's how it happened. Um, I got into dentistry. I think I got into – so when I did dentistry way back in the old days, um, it was a five-year course. So I did the BDS program. Um, and when we got into, I think it was fourth year, we went out to Westmead. And then I looked across the car park as, well, there's no car park now. It's a big car parking station. But um, the College of Dental Therapy, so the oral therapists were there. Um, uh, and I thought, oh, what are those guys over there? Then I realised they were the people that were in the caravans. <laughs> so I had made a mistake. <laughs> I should have done a TAFE course, but it was way too late. Um, but, no, I was enjoying my dentistry and my um, the program. So, you know, and that, that's how it um, ended up as me being, you know, a dentist. But in saying that, um, my first job was actually at Westmead Hospital where um, I was employed as a dental officer. And one of the first, um, within the first year, I was invited to work as a, in the DAU um, clinic, and that was the Dental Assistant Utilisation Clinic as a demonstrator. So one of my first experiences was helping other dentists and nurses work together in four-handed dentistry. And that had included a lot of infection control. So we were teaching them a way, an efficient way of working together, transferring instruments, maintaining their ergonomics, posture, infection control. So, and we used to videotape them back then and play back the videos and discuss their, you know, the way they work together. So it was it was a bit of a philosophy and that's how I got into teaching. And that was sort of my, I just thought, yep, this is it. That's the teaching. So I, I continued with that and I also taught TAFE after work um, at the College of Dental Therapy for dental assistants. So I did that as well while I was a dental officer for three years at Westmead Hospital. So I always did some teaching one way or another. It, I always fell back into it. So it was just some, something yeah. that was meant to be, I suppose. It's interesting how we can be so inspired by someone early on and it really does change our whole trajectory your your math teacher year eight and and her you know her um, passion for what she was doing obviously rubbed off on you straight away I didn't know you were teaching um, early on with assistance that's it's really interesting what did you learn from that experience was that um, something like videoing it sounds like a really great way to do it especially then in the that would have been the 90s yes it was it was a whole unit um, back in um Back in those days, it was in the early 90s. Um, it was set up by, uh, I think it was the Robinsons. Um, uh, there was a lot of people back then. It, it was brought in and every person, every dental assistant and dental officer rotated through that department. So everybody was trained how to work with an assistant or how to work with a dentist. And I thought that was just amazing. And, and you know, I look at the current curriculum now and I just think that's, that's where we were lacking. Um, we never really, you know, had the opportunity to teach students how to work efficiently um, together with, with a dental assistant. And so working with those dental assistants, they taught me a lot. They taught me how to put rubber dam on. They taught me how to floss without ripping the rubber dam. Um, lots yeah. of little tricks. Seriously, um, they did. And, um, and I really loved it. And those videos, we used to have those big video cassettes and we used to um, – 
record um, even the <laughs> patients as well. So, you know, there was four chairs and there was ceiling um, cameras and we used to record these and play them back and help them, you know, with with all the, you know, the different their posture, the way they were working. We produced procedure cards and it's all the things, I don't know if you realize this uh, some of those things I put that into my teaching when I was teaching you guys um tooth cons you know like procedure cards and it's still something I do now in my current role um with 3M I talk about procedure cards and I'm talking to 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 um 3M and saying hey this is what people want this is what dentists busy dentists and clinicians nurses they want the information they're at their fingertips to get the job done. So I'm always looking at that perspective or that side of things and how I can um, help to make that better. That's that's really actually, that makes a lot of sense. You know, we want the answer summarised down as quickly as possible because we are busy. But that's also a really good point with how dental students often, we have to learn a lot as we graduate. There's a lot about private practice and money and communication and, of course, working with dental assistants. Uh, as you would remember, in where we trained with Westmead, we'd have one dental assistant between eight dentists. And then you graduate and you have a have a nurse that's looking after you. It's like, magic but you don't really know how to work with them so you keep all, all the tools on your side or or you have you all the instruments piling up and they they start yeah. chastising you for it <laughs> i know i remember that feeling too i remember being a, a first year dental officer and having this nurse that needed to go out for smokos every 15 minutes so i had to really be quick with whatever i was doing <laughs> And um, it was really, really quite stressful. And, you know, so I, I get that and I just think, oh, we should be doing things so much better than this, you know. So so that's why I used to put all that sort of stuff into your training about your posture, the way you sit, your infection control, the way you have your workstation set out. If you have it all set out and ordered, it's just so much easier and life is so much um, pleasant for you, your patient, um, working four-handed. I, I love that. Working four-handed, um, doing four-handed dentistry, it's just, um, it's amazing. Patients realise just how um, less stressed you are and they really enjoy um, the relationship. I mean, it's not, when I say relationship, it's just the atmosphere in the room where you and your, your assistant are just getting along so well because you just know it's just – it's not even verbal communication. It's just visual, you know, the slight flick of your wrist because you need another instrument and it's all done and dusted. It's something that you mentioned is the patient actually gets a better experience and it's not just – you make a good point. You know, there's not a lot of verbal communication. It's all um, – it's it's visual or it's just actions and, and it's amazing. You never have to talk about the dentistry with your nurse but the, you can do it faster and we have to remember that that, that is better for the patient. That's a better experience and it's yeah, definitely something – as, as much as they say they, they <laughs> Let's like us. Let's be honest, us, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As much as they say they like us, they usually come in through the door saying, I really don't like coming to the dentist. But, you know, <laughs> they, they leave and they're, and they're happy and, you know, hey, that's your job done, I think. So, you started with um, being a DO in Westmead Hospital. What was that experience like? You mentioned, you know, it can be stressful at times. What was the good and what was the bad about working in public early on? Okay, so the way I got the job was really interesting. Maybe I can talk about it now. It's okay. Um, we used to play a staff-student um, softball game um, towards the end of the year. And um, I remember playing, obviously, on the student side, and um, I was really good at softball. So um, <laughs> I was easily, <laughs> I was easily uh, spotted. And um, when I put my application in... <laughs> 
needless to say, I got the job. Um, back then, I think well, there was quite a few of us that were employed by Westmead. Uh, I think there was about 20 or so. So it was a big um, cohort oh, wow. of new yeah. dentists. Yeah. So we had security in numbers. When it came to, um, you know, feeling welcomed and the whole learning experience of doing dentistry for the first time, um, as a dentist, you know, without having a tutor, it was just a really comfortable and safe space. So, um, apart from being, like you said, like I said before, um, with your nurse, you, you had a lot of um, discussions in the hallways. We had the lunchroom. It was always buzzing. You can always talk to someone about the case. Um, so, it was great. And I remember the first – my first rotation as a dental officer was, would you believe, in emergency because – at the time, Jackie Robinson, Dr. Jackie Robinson, um, uh, she was, um, I think, I'm not sure, she was on my softball team. So I'd already gone on to the staff softball team, right? So they already got me during the summer and I'd already started playing. <laughs> you got and I hired broke for my softball. <laughs> yeah, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Before you started. <laughs> Yeah, I broke um, – I think I broke my finger. Oh, no, I might have not been before I started, but I remember my first rotation and I'm not sure – I'm sure the emergency department has moved, but I was thrown into the deep end into the emergency department and back then, and I don't know if you had this experience, David, but the people that came – or the patients that mostly came to the emergency department, especially if they were patients in the main hospital, had these massive files. They had complicated medical histories and – you had to go through everything. And I remember just sitting there pouring through all those papers and having to ask Mark Shifter to come and help me. It's like, oh, what do yeah, I do with yeah. this person? You know, can I touch them? So <laughs> you remember those experiences. They were, they're so real. And like even today, I still remember what it was like. But I tell you what, that, that first rotation through the emergency department improved my diagnostic skills like I never knew I could ever do on my own. Like I just – I just knew how to just diagnose very quickly. So I was thrown in the deep end. And I think maybe then after that I broke my finger. <laughs> my Which one was it? It was my um, – actually, it was my right hand and I am right-handed. So I couldn't hold a handpiece. So um, I was talking to Jackie and she uh, rotated me through – um, assessments. I don't know if you ever, guys ever did assessments, but what that used to be like a crude screen that we used to do. So we only used a, a mirror and a probe. So I sat there and again, treatment planning and diagnosing. So I did that while my finger was healing. I just had it strapped to a paddle pop stick underneath the glove. But um, yes, yeah, so that was that was that experience there. So I it was a lot of fun. And I was, as you can imagine, I was one of these um, people who would always go and ask questions. So I wasn't afraid to go and talk to, you know, Mark Shifter, sometimes pretty the serious bloke, but he's lovely, um, you know, and just ask the hard questions and, and knock on people's doors and they were just so friendly and we'd be rotated through all the different um, departments. I remember pedo and, and all of that and it was just an amazing experience, an experience that I, and I keep saying this to students um, who ask me, you know, should I get a job in the public health system? For me back then, it was amazing because I got these individual, almost specialist experiences rotating through the different um, departments that you never get when you're out there in um, private practice. I mean, 
and it depends on where you are in private practice, obviously, but you don't tend to see the extreme cases or, you know, the difficult cases as much as you were seeing them on a daily basis when you're working in a public dental clinic like Westmead Hospital. I think that's a really good point that when you go into private practice, depending on where you are, you can go into a really high-end one and then you don't learn oral surgery very much or you could go into a more emergency-based one and you're not doing any pros. It's Your choice of private practice really shapes what dentistry do and obviously in the public system, you get a broader experience, perhaps not so much pros, but you've got those people there. And I also wanted to highlight, you, you said you, you know the type of person who goes out and asks the hard questions and, and gets the answer and I think it's very easy for us to um, you know, think about the question, but then not quite send that message or, or ask that person. And most dentists really do want to help, especially if they're in the public system. And and even anyone who's publicly talking about dentistry, they're the type of person who are going to respond. So I, I encourage people to reach out, and I think it's how you can grow really, really quite quick. Oh yeah, look, I was a I was a pain um, people's backsides. I seriously used to just <laughs> knock on their door all the time, you know, and and they were lovely. Even the pros, you know, you're saying not the pros, and I remember I remember being a young um, dental officer working in. Um, I'm pretty sure I was working in the DAU department and we used to have these mentors that used to come and help us, um, and I got to do six porcelain veneers on my patient, um, and. And, you know, and that was with the help of a mentor and that was just an amazing experience. I remember I was only like two years out and I was doing this and it was just, it was just an amazing experience just getting, finding a mentor and really it doesn't matter where you are, whether you are in a public um, system or in private practice, you need to find someone that's going to guide you and you know who those people are. Like you said, you can, you can really pick them out um, fairly quickly if they're going to help you that's the type of person you need to be having more conversations with. And, you know, these days it's a little easier than that. You don't actually have to be face-to-face. You can do a lot of this through um, the internet, social media, you know, joining clubs and stuff. But if you get someone, um, you know, there in the clinic with you, that's even better. Yeah, it is always better to have someone you can talk directly with. It improves your communication. Do you have any um, um, advice for people trying to find and search out their mentor or working with their mentor? I know we covered a few of the points, but do you have anything to add to that? Because that's such an important factor. Yeah, look, I have to say that I had a lot of mentors, like you said, now that I'm thinking about it, in the public system. But when you go out there and look for private jobs, and, and I'm talking from my personal experience as well, you're going to find a lot of places where you're not going to actually think that you fit in or you feel like you're not being supported. And you know what? You have to make that decision to stay or to go. Um, And if you're not being supported or if you're not going to be developed in that job, maybe it's time to, to say, you know what? I'm done with this, I'm going somewhere else. And I know that's hard to say in this particular uh, climate with COVID and, you know, the, there's not that many jobs going around. But um, it's re- I think it's really important to find a mentor early on, someone that's going to enjoy the style of dentistry that you like doing, okay? So not every mentor is going to be suitable for you. If you want to be a cosmetic dentist, go seek that cosmetic mentor. If you want to be a public health dentist, go seek that one. You know, find what you want, what you enjoy first. And that might take you a little while to, to, to work that out. 
but like you like we said before sometimes you just gravitate to what you like because someone has shown you the way or shown you how enjoyable it can be so it's whatever appeals to you you will find your mentor but don't be afraid to give up jobs that are not giving you that satisfaction or that that opportunity to develop you know um let it go find somewhere else yeah, that's something that I think some people probably need to hear and and it's hard to do and it and it's it just makes so much sense in the long run though. And obviously a difficult climate, so you've got to look out for yourself financially and all the rest of it first, but in the end the job you get shapes who you become and if you don't change something nothing changes. So I think that's that's going to be pretty relevant for some people. How did you end up changing from public into private? Oh well, you know, I thought I was there at uh, Westmead for about three years and then I thought I've, I've got to go out and do something different um, because I thought, you know, I'll just end up being at Westmead for the rest of my life. So I thought I've got to do something different and someone actually from Westmead said, oh, would you like trying, you know, would you be interested in working for a health fund? And so um, I said, yeah, okay, and I tried it and um, – I got into HCF, so I worked for HCF for a number of years. Um, now, that was a different experience um, back then. Um, and I, I, I'll describe it from my perspective. So, you can imagine I was a young dental officer. I was working forehanded, and back then, forehanded dentistry is just completely unknown. Like, nobody really knew what that was about. So, I walk into this clinic. I'm a young female dentist. Um, there were a lot of older male dentists in that clinic and just particularly the way this particular clinic was working it was almost like the dentists were siloed into their um, clinics their separate clinics and they only did a certain type of dentistry or for instance there was the guy that did endo there was the guy that did pros there was the guy that did uh, veneers um, composite resin veneers that's what he did all day um, and and then there was me me that wanted to do everything, <laughs> right? So I wanted to do endo, I wanted to do pros, I wanted to do everything. And the nurses weren't skilled to deal with me because, number one, I worked forehanded and, number two, I did endo. There was only a certain amount of nurses that knew how to set up for endo. So they weren't, weren't skilled um, like they weren't, they weren't the nurses I was used to um, working with at Westmead. So that was quite hard to to get over um but I stuck it out and um you know I I did I did a bit and then I thought you know there were situations where I'm thinking oh people used to get rewarded there were dentists that used to get rewarded for the uh the amount of walk-ins they saw so emergency patients and you know there used to be prizes at the end of the year and I just think you know, slapping on a bit of Durafat is not worth the price because that patient would be coming back and I'd be doing an endo access and a, an endo dressing for that patient. You know what I mean? So that, that used to really annoy me, you know, and, um, uh, you know, just little things. The infection control used to annoy me. You know, people back then were wearing their gowns in the tea room, the same mask all day. And for me, that was quite a shock having taught infection control um, and, you know, all that forehanded dentistry information, 
in that unit where I was first, that was my first experience, it was just, I just couldn't handle it. Um, so I wasn't very happy. Um, but, you know, eventually they were kind enough to give me a nurse that was uh, a little more multi-skilled. <laughs> and um, eventually I worked it out. Um, so I stuck it out for about three years. And then after that, um, I moved on into um, private practice. Um, I moved on into, oh, geez, I can't remember. I think I moved on into Parramatta. I worked in Parramatta in a private practice there, which was suburban private practice. And that was, that was great. That was um, a little bit more um, familiar for me in terms of I had a nurse that was able to do everything and I learned more. Um, I learned more of the cosmetic side of things with, um, with the dentist I was working there with. Um, and, and then he eventually, um, he had a, uh, he opened up a practice in the city. So it was very much geared towards cosmetic dentistry. And we ended up being a, um, so we had, but they had, he had both um, surgeries and it was a non-amalgam practice. So um, I very quickly had to learn how to do posterior composites um, well, you know. So um, I had and, – and I did a few courses that he recommended. It was an amazing experience. So even though it was slightly stressful having, you know, to give up the amalgam and, you know, do composites, um, I got really good at it because, again, I, um, I looked at – my patients, I looked at bite wings and I thought, I looked at posterior composites and I would ask patients, and I remember doing this when I was working at HCF, I asked one of the patients, they had beautiful posterior composites and they were just, you never saw that sort of thing before and you'd ask how, how old or how long they'd had those restorations in their mouth and um, they'd say, oh, I've had them done for 10 years or something and, and ask them, who did them for you? And um, they told me who that dentist was. So I would then go up. I, I actually sought out that dentist and went to one of their courses or asked questions about how they did it. So I changed my... Um, process or I think I started using dual cure composite then um, and I think it was Stephen Tracy's method back then um, so I did a lot of courses and and developed um, my posterior composite so I got really good at them good at them it's really interesting the way you um, um, you, you you saw great work and then you sought out the person and the technique and you really you're actively learning but also I, I find it fascinating when I hear the stories of people and the different things you learn from different jobs and again it goes back to that situation of if you're not in the right job perhaps it's time to move on and, and we're not advocating people jump around because it's got negatives as well but the a lot of skills develop from that broad experience. So yeah, so that's that's how I got into um, the cosmetic stuff, um, which was which was daunting at the time, but so much fun. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, high risk, high reward. <laughs> I wanted to ask you something about going back to HCF. The you know the experience, and I'd like to know actually. First thing, do you recommend people go into the the kind of situation more of a corporate role, um, and do you think it's changed from the experience you had back then? Um. I, I know for a fact that, you know, the the clinics have developed quite a bit from when I was working at HCF and especially the clinic I was in. I was in the city clinic. Um, you know, they've been completely overhauled. Um, they've, you know, they've been accredited. Um, they've got they've got their own little mentor um sort of uh groups and study groups and, I mean, I, I still work with some of them now 
not as a clinician, obviously, but you could see that um, a lot of corporates are trying to get education into their clinics to mentor their young um, dentists. And, you know, it's a very different, different experience these days, I believe. Um, back then, I have to admit, I felt like I was in a sausage factory. I felt like it was just process and I did get quite frustrated. Um and I'm not afraid to say that because I actually told – I said that to the um, head dentist at the time when I was leaving. I said, I feel like I'm in a sausage factory. And for me, it was more about doing quality dentistry or dentistry that I was happy doing, you know. So in, in to answer your question, David, it's not about whether you're in a corporate clinic uh, or health fund or private practice or in a public de- – dental clinic it's where you're comfortable doing the dentistry that you like doing so you know if you're comfortable in that corporate clinic that's fine there's nothing wrong with that you know and and things have changed you know gone are the days where everybody went out as soon as they graduated and and just you know started up their own practice that doesn't happen anymore um students have huge debts when they leave you know I, I don't know how students do it when they leave you know huge financial debts because of um their student loans and and you know what do you do with that it's a really hard decision like the type of dentistry you're going to because you've also got to have a life right so you've got to have a life you've got to exactly, pay off your yeah. loans and you've got to be happy with what you're doing so if you stay in a place where you're unhappy all you're doing is you're hating your dentistry so you need to find your sweet spot that's really, really good advice. It's everybody gravitates to a certain type of dentistry and you have to be in your happy place or it becomes a real grind. I think that that's really fantastic, fantastic advice. I wanted also to tie back into the situation you had, which was a bit of a challenge with um, you were wanting to do a broad range of procedures, but your nurses weren't quite up to scratch. Do you have um, any thoughts or advice if a, if a dentist is in that situation on how they can help manage that? Um, the way I got around it is I started just to teach my nurses how to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good answer. So, yeah. you know, I just started to teach them and I had that experience having worked in that unit at Westmead where I would just, you know, I actually pulled out my procedure cards and I said to them, hey, this is how I do my composite or this is how I do my endo procedure. And I actually had Back then I had my laminated cards and I'd share that with them and say, this is what I want. Or I'd modify my cards wherever I went to say, this is what I'm going to do for this procedure. So I kept that workflow or that philosophy of being completely in control of not everything that happens all day long, but treatment planning, whether it's my day or the procedure itself, I would make sure I'm in control of all of that as, as much as I can be. Obviously, when you have an emergency patient, you can't control what walks in through the door, right? But if you have a, pa- a new patient you've just seen, I would treatment plan that patient. And I learned this in that particular unit. I would treatment plan that patient right down to every appointment. And then when I have, um, when we used to plan our, um, our, our day sheet, you know, your day sheet, I talk to my receptionist and say, I don't want you to put two endo procedures back to back because that means my nurse will be setting up for about 
15 minutes and having to clean for at least 20 minutes afterwards and that's time where I would be just twiddling my thumbs. So it makes sense and I would go to every every new job I'd go to, I would actually talk to my receptionist and my nurses and say this. It's like I want a difficult procedure either first thing in the morning or mid-morning and another difficult procedure or long procedure mid-afternoon and it depends on what type of dentist you are whether you're good in the morning or better in the afternoon you got to tailor your day so it suits you and then so to break up the endos you do something simple in between like you know um so a pros appointment that's that you can do on your own so your nurse can be cleaning up and sorting out the reception work the accounts and whatever um and you're still seeing a patient and helping someone out so you know things are flowing throughout the day um I would also treatment plan each procedure. So when I'd get my day sheet, I would write down on my day sheet at the beginning of the day exactly what I wanted for each one, the type of LA, whether it was a long or a block or a short infiltration, the rubber dam, the recipe for the rubber dam, um, the materials I was going to use. I know a lot of us think that our nurses can read our mind. And you know what? If you've got a good nurse, they usually can <laughs> read your They're reading your mind. They've thought of things way before you have even thought about them um, but the more you communicate with them, your nurse and I found and this is how I found uh, was easier for me to get over that stress with my nurse where um, you know especially if you get an older nurse where you think oh geez they know so much more than me I'm just a young dentist you know um, if I communicated with them and told them what I wanted to do it showed them that I knew what I was doing but I also showed them how I wanted to work with them. So it became more of a relationship and, you know, before you knew it, they knew what I wanted and the day just flowed, you know, apart from when you break something or something goes wrong, you know. <laughs> but even when that happens, even when that happens, you just, you know, you just got to, you know, focus again and say, yep, this is what we're going to do. And and they get you through it too. You know, your nurse is there to help you, you know. And most of the times I had amazing relationships with my nurses. Um, and they they really, by the end of um, some of these jobs that I was at, they were actually putting their hand up to come and work with me because it was so much easier to work with me because I actually told them what I wanted. So, um, yeah, it's it's what you make of it. Really it's a really good point. And, and with most relationships, setting expectations and, and, and not so much setting, you know, this is what I expect you to do, but just saying like, this is where we're at. Let, let's get each other to this level. And then building that relationship, you can work faster, you can work better, you can work with less stress. Um, everybody's happy. That's a really, really good point. You sound like someone who's very planned and meticulous about um, what you do and how you do it. How did that then circle back around to education again and coming back to USID to teach dental students? Okay, so um, the next part of the journey after that was um, <laughs> obviously, you know, I did do quite a bit of private practice. I moved around. I tried different places. You know, there were jobs I didn't like so I sort of, you know, gave them away. Um, I had a couple of kids <laughs> in between. <laughs> um, that sort of happened. Susie, can I ask? Um, that, that's, a, that's obviously a really big one that changes things and um, having a two-year-old running around, I know what you mean. Um, ha- can I ask why you didn't go into practice ownership? I never really wanted to because I I felt I felt like I felt I could see how hard it was to run a practice. I mean, I saw some of the people that I was working for, you know, it's a lot of work. You really have to be dedicated and they were there for long hours. And I knew I I knew that I couldn't have a family 
um, and do that at the same time. That was just me, you know. You do find some superhuman people that can do both um, and, you know, my hat's off to them because it's really hard. Um, I just – I just and – as much as I loved dentistry back then, you get to a point, and I think it's around the eight-year mark for me, um, where, where you know, you've done all the procedures. There's, I just didn't get the thrill anymore. You know, there was like, yeah, okay, it's this, whatever, you know. And um, <laughs> it got to the point where I was like, do I really want to be doing this forever? Anyway, so I just said, look, I, I it was time to have – family and so I had a family and I took a couple of years off um I took a couple of years I so I had my first one back in 2001 and then the second one was in 2005 um and then just by chance uh actually I had a fantastic mentor when I was in HCF Stephen Branson uh he's still a friend of mine um he he said to me we're in contact and he said he was tutoring for in, uh, in endo at Sydney Uni at the time, and he said, "Hey, Suze, um, would you do you want to do some tutoring?" I said, "Oh, you know, I wouldn't mind, you know." So um, I did. I started off tutoring, and I was tutoring endo, um, and uh, Prof Bryant was actually teaching endo at the time, and. It was my my young my my youngest was about six months at the time, so um, it was fantastic for me because I got out of the house and um, I loved it. <laughs> yeah. I instantly loved the teaching, and I thought, "Oh my god, this is just awesome!" And then it just started from there in two thousand and five, where I thought, "This is this is what I need to be doing." I've I've done the dentistry, I know the procedures, whatever. Um, I've done enough of it. And now I'm here, I want to share it and I want to teach others, you know. So that's how it started. I started teaching endo in the sim and and then um, very quickly um, Prof Bryant said, hey, do you want to do some um, clinical teaching? And I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to do it, you know. So I started doing some clinical teaching. I think I was doing, um, oh, I can't remember what I was doing first. I probably was doing third or fourth year first. And then fairly soon after that, I was asked to be a mentor. So I loved being a mentor. I loved doing that in, in with DMD3. That was so much fun. Um, so, yeah, that, that was just a lot of fun. Like, seriously, it wasn't work. It was just fun. And by then I was working full-time um, for the uni. Um, I was just sticking the kids into daycare. I was like, yep, you guys can go to daycare. <laughs> and I, I said, found yep, my passion. I can do I'm this. Off. <laughs> yeah, I found my passion. So it was so much fun. And, and then um, uh, while I was teaching, well, when I started the teaching and even the mentoring, I felt like, you know, it had been a while since – um, remembering the theory and the stuff that I was taught, you know, there was quite a few years that had gone, you know, past. And so I thought, I need to know what the curriculum of these guys, the students that I'm teaching right now. So I actually asked again, I put my hand up, I want to teach pros. I want to teach fixed pros. So I started to be one of those tutors that was in fixed pros program. I was in the pros program. I did endo, obviously. Um, so I made, I made sure that I actually got around and taught at some stage in the different disciplines. 
And for me, that helped me find all the information because I could see students struggling to find the information. Sometimes I'd supply my own information. You know, I'm one of these people that kept all my textbooks and not all my notes, but um, there are certain things that I kept and, and that worked for me as a clinician. So I brought them, brought that in and I shared that with my students and it was just fun. I don't know how to explain it. It was just it was just fun. I love learning and I love learning new techniques. I love, you know, seeing the outcomes and I, I like sharing that with, with students and clinicians. So that that's what drew me to teaching. I love it. And y- your passion comes through so much when you talk about it, which is really, it's quite inspiring actually. Uh, tell us a bit about what you get from teaching young dentists and and I mean from your personal point of view and I mean from someone who you know might be thinking about tutoring you know do you have any stories about great things you've learned or funny stories about the experience oh and in tutoring yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah sure um oh <laughs> look um with the tutors it's actually a lot of fun um, with the tutors as well. Look, you remember, you guys probably have a better experience with tutors than I did. I remember some of the tutors I used to have and they were horrible. You could just, you couldn't even look at them in the eye and you were just so scared of them and you just knew, especially if you turned up to a pros clinic and you hadn't done something, you know, they just look at you and they just show you the door and you were out, you know. And I'm not saying that that doesn't still happen. I'm sure that still happens somewhere along the line. But I, I remember that experience and I hated it. And it was like, no, nah, that's not going to happen when I'm a tutor, you know, like I want to be able to help students because everyone can be helped. There are very few students in my 14 years of teaching that you can't help, very, very few. Um, Everybody can learn a skill Um, and it's just a matter of time, okay? It's just a matter of time. Sometimes it's just them letting go and letting them, you know, it's some habit or some sort of focus that they have and you've just got to work out what it is for them and just break that and then all of a sudden the penny drops and when the penny drops it's awesome and as a tutor you see that all the time it's so much fun and I know you guys used to think oh what are they doing sitting there talking about stuff you know and, and I <laughs> you know I'm so conscious of that it was like I used to tell the tutors sometimes look can you let's keep it down because you know people are, the students are here and they can hear everything you're saying so you've just got to and you've got to remember and you do this now subconsciously we all sit there and we are we are perfectionists. That's why we're dentists, okay? You have some sort of OCD trait. I don't care who you are because you all do have some sort of OCD trait and that's one of the skills that makes you a dentist, right? Um, and you're always comparing yourself and I don't know whether it's something that it's a learned behaviour because of the way we teach students and, you know, your tutor comes up and says, oh, you could take a little bit off there or you can polish that up a little bit more. Um and you start to become your own judge. When you're a tutor, you do that as well. And you do and you forget what it's like to be a student. And I used to say to tutors sometimes, hey, they're not working at the level that you're working at in your private practice. They're a student. You have to understand that they're a student. So this is what they can do at this stage right now. Okay. So I used to point that out to them. I don't know how many times. And when you get a good tutor, they get it right? And they, they'd come up and they'd say, oh, so-and-so did, did an amazing job today. And quite often at lunchtime, you can hear us talking about, you know, what went well in the morning session or what didn't. So, yeah, uh, it's it's fun. And I actually like watching tutors grow as well because you get 
the young, we get the young tutors that come in, you know. I mean, I remember teaching Yasmina and Yasmina being a young tutor. Now she's amazing, you know. She's just an amazing tutor. So if you ever want to teach, it's just really fun. Um, you get in there, you you have, again, a lot of, a lot of, it's not just fun because, yeah, you get a day off the practice. I mean, and that's not the type of tutor that I particularly like to keep on. I wanted to keep the pe- the passionate people, and I don't know if if you realise this, but the team that I had, especially for DMD one, I had the same team for years. They knew the curriculum inside out. They knew exactly what we were doing, and you could almost leave them alone, and they would just you know run the show because they just it was just so well ingrained, you know, um, that they knew exactly what was going on. And and you know what I really love when my tutors used to tell some of the other casual tutors how to do it or how to speak to students or how to help students or how to develop students, you know, and it's not a matter of giving them that look to tell them to get out of the clinic. I mean, that would hopefully, that was rare, but, um, you know, you'd have to push me quite a bit for me to say something like that. Um, but... <laughs> and I don't know if you've had any of those experiences, but um, you know, some, <laughs> you some students, <laughs> some some students may remember um, me doing that, and it takes a lot to for me to say that. But again, you know, everybody can be helped. Everyone knows the skill, and teaching is fun. And if you're doing it as a young um, a young dentist as well, I found that there's a lot of camaraderie there with the other tutors and you could talk about cases, talk about your own issues with your own patients. And it's, it's just an amazing, especially if you're working by yourself in a, in a practice where there's nobody sort of there to, to bounce ideas off. It's a great way to, to get back there and talk to people and talk about what's current, what's evidence-based, how can you help your patients? So, there's so many advantages to being a tutor as well as, you know, having a lot of fun for a day but also um, helping students and, and helping your patients and yourself. It's, yeah, that's really great and it's actually exactly the experience um, we had going through. You were a great team and it was a good experience and you do hear a lot of people talk about their experiences in dental school that were quite torturous and obviously it's, it's you know, there's a lot of challenges and it, it still was a lot of challenges but the team were there for us and we could tell. Um, and so, Dr. James Herbalist, who you would know well, has come and tutored oh, with no, you. I know James, um, yeah. Of course. And, um, James is one of the ones I knew exactly where he was sitting too because he was so loud. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows where James is sitting. You should listen to the last podcast. So we talk about funny stories and it, it's, it's a good one. <laughs> James is great. Um, he actually asked a few good questions, but one of the questions he suggested was, um, do you have any funny stories of miscommunication between you and a student when you're trying to explain to do something? Oh, We want a juicy story. I want you to come up with something obviously anonymous. Okay, I'm not going to mention names, okay? So, <laughs> <laughs> so I had a student and, and it... <laughs> Okay, so this student was challenged a little bit. I can't remember what it was what that we were doing. We were we were lining something. It was a prep. Um, and, you know, when you line something, you're not meant to line it right up to the enamel, right? So this particular student had lined, had lined the whole cavity. It was right up to the enamel. And um, and I sort of said, and look, not he was he wasn't sorry, I shouldn't say he. That particular student wasn't the only one that had made that error, right, in the pod that I was looking after. And uh, so I um I went around to a few other students and said, Oh, you've got a bit too much GIC in there, just take that down a bit. Um, because we need to cap it with some composite. And um this particular student looked at me and said, 
are you sure I've got too much GIC in there? And I just, and I'm, I, could, I could just see that it was like they didn't want to take out the GIC and I'm saying, are you really asking me that question right now? <laughs> like, and that was one of those, it was one of those moments where, you know, you remember it because I'm not usually nasty but I'm like, I looked, I looked at him and I said, are you really asking me that question? And he's like, yeah, like how do you know? I said, because we've already spoken about the gun. And he just kept arguing with me and I'm like, seriously? And at the end, I, I tried diplomatically <laughs> to, to say, you know, um, take it down. You know, I was being polite, whatever. And then in the end I said, just take it down, you know. And the other students, <laughs> I could see the other students in the pod were rolling their eyes and I'm like, oh, my God. And then I, f I went back to the tutors and I felt a bit embarrassed because I was a bit loud about it and I said, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But um, – but this, this student just kept challenging me the whole time and it was just, just one of those. I learned a lot from that student. Even the challenging students <laughs> teach you so many lessons. Um, another funny story, I was, um, I was in the clinic this fairly early on and I think it was a third-year student when I was a mentor. I can't remember exactly, but I'm sure if this student's listening, he, he still reminds me. I, I know he still reminded me about this situation. So... A patient came in, he was only about uh, 18 or 19 and he'd fractured uh, the uh, incisal edge of his, um, I think it was his 1-3. And um, I said to the student, okay, you don't need to do much here. All you need to do is just create a little bit of a bevel, okay? That's all we're going to do. I'll be back, okay? Now, this student had just bought themselves four times magnification Brand new loops, four times magnification. And anyway, I come back in about 10 minutes and, oh, my God, at this stage the bevel was so big that I almost had to do a composite resin crown on top. And I'm like – and I, I didn't know what to say to the student. I said, oh, look, I'm just going to have to take over here. Anyway, I said – that's a little bit – I didn't okay. say anything in front of the patient because it was hard, you know, and I'm thinking 18-year-old, the canine, poor patient, you know. So I said, oh, look, I'll just have to take over here anyway. And then I had this conversation with the student. I said, hey, you know, you've got your brand-new loops, fantastic. I go, but sometimes just look beyond the loops. Just have a look. And all you needed to do was just, you know, quarter of a millimetre bevel around everywhere. I go, now this poor patient's got this horrible composite on there that I put there. And if they're a Bruxa, I mean, imagine he's only 18, that thing's going to come off. So it was just one of those horrifying situations. But it's a funny story. In the end, we all just started laughing. And I tell this story to um, to many students, especially when they're buying um, their first uh, pair of loops, you know, it's 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 this transition of, you know, trying to calibrate your mind in terms of the sizes of things, you know, because when you've got those four times magnification loops on and you've been, you know, asked to do a little bevel, it, it's, yeah, it's scary. <laughs> it's scary what yeah, you can do absolutely. with your birth. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was, yeah, that, so that was an interesting, funny story there. Um, I can imagine that there would be so many stories where, you know, these situations happen and it's just like, you know, you come back and it's just completely different to how you thought you you explained it, but then you've got the patient there as well. So, I guess you would you have quite a, a communication challenge, I guess. Um, I wanted to ask something. This is a little bit off topic, topic, but you mentioned about a challenging student. Do you think that's something that's more common? And do you think um, the attitude of certain students is what holds them back? Um, look, students are... Students are different these days, mainly because 
of your maturity. Like you guys, oh, I shouldn't say you guys because it's not you anymore. Um, sorry, David. Um, students come in with another degree. <laughs> Right, students come in with another degree. They've already been at uni. They they're, they're fairly intelligent people, right? Um, and they're a lot older. Like when I think back to when I was a student, I was a student when I'd first come out of high school. So it, I was very naive. I was easily influenced. It was a very different time. The students have changed because they've matured. So they're intelligent adults. They're coming in um, and they're learning a new skill and we have to treat them like adults. And, yes, some of them do come in with pre, pre uh, different ideas or they come in with their own attitude and they come in, which is fine. I don't mind attitude. You know, everyone's allowed to have a personality. I'm always getting into trouble with mine. But, um, you know, <laughs> you, you need to have, you be your own person when you come in, right? Um but when I, when when we were teaching, well, the way I was teaching is like you've got to embrace that that personality, and you've just got to help them with their journey and help them to become a competent clinician. They're not not everybody's going to turn out to be the same little minion when they're popped out of dental school. You know, everybody's got their own little style. Um, as long as the basic skills are there, that's fine. You know, and sometimes yes, people did come in with 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 attitudes but i feel it wasn't an attitude it wasn't an attitude that was <sighs> disrespectful yeah look sometimes it was you know whatever um but you know for me the way i dealt with it i just go and have a frank conversation and i'm sure if there's anyone out there listening to that you may have had some of these conversations with me in the past where i would just you know just honestly say hey you know and sometimes i'd try and do it um, inconspicuously behind a corridor or whatever. Um, but yeah, I just tell it as it is. And, you know, this is your journey. Do with, do with what, do it with it what you want, but you do have to get through certain, um, obstacles and, and you know what they're not right. You know what they are now. And, you know, quite often you'd go to the graduation ball and the students would come up to you and say, I know what you were talking about back then. I know what you meant back then, but I needed to be here in this this part of my journey to realise that. And I go, yeah, I know that. It's all cool. I'm all right with that, you know. I'm okay with being, <laughs> you know, the nasty person back then, you know. But, you know, for me it was always having, you know, that um, I, I wanted them to get to the end of their journey. And, you know, and it was very rare that you'd have someone that was always, you know, annoying you but like I said even the annoying students always taught me something and I sort of used to just change the way I did it the next time so it's just a bit like a patient isn't it you, you learn from yeah, the absolutely. patients that annoy you and you learn different tricks and and ways to deal with them and make it as pleasant as possible yeah that, that makes a lot of sense it must have been quite amazing at the grad balls when you see you know if you think of that day one and get to the end and and it's grad ball and they're completely different people what makes a student stand out enough for you to recommend them to an employer? Because you probably get asked by a lot of private practice dentists about the students coming out and you recommend some for sure. What makes them stand out? For me, um, for me, the type of student that stands out that's going to be a good clinician is not always the best student. It's the student that, um, or the graduate that is aware of their limitations and knows how to figure out the issue in front of them, the problem, you know, has the ability 
to find their own resources and develop themselves, you know, and not be afraid to ask the question. Someone that's just open-minded, you know, um, and willing to learn, you could see that straight away. There are some students um, where you get you get a student like even in first years and they're so hard on themselves, like they're just so hard on themselves and you think, you know, they might be a really weak student but by the end of the program or whatever I was teaching, you realise the ones that have developed are the ones that are figuring it out for themselves are not afraid to make the mistake, figuring out and that's the type of person you want to employ. Um, that's the type of people, well, for me personally, if I was to be employing somebody, it's that type of person I would want on my team. You know, so it depends on, you know, who's asking for a reference. You know, if you're asking for a reference for someone so that the um, principal dentist can go off and play golf, well, you'd have to pick a different type of student, that one that just knew what they were doing, you know what I mean, and didn't need a mentor. Um, so I don't know if I've answered that question properly, but it's not always the good student. It's the student that's always willing to to learn something or change something or develop themselves, that makes a really good clinician. I can tell on day, day one, um, within the first six weeks, I can tell um, which student's going to be struggling, which student wasn't going to be struggling. Um, and, and I knew that, you know, the struggling students sometimes – it's funny to say this, but sometimes the ones that were struggling were the ones with the more attitude or the ones that were giving us a hard time. And that's fine. I'd always, you know, I'd get an angry tutor come back and say, oh my God, what am I going to do with this one? And I'm like, just calm down. Just, you know, just try this or <laughs> just go back there. And, you know, you know, it was always just trying to work it out. It's, again, try to figure out what the problem is, try a different method. And eventually, you know, I mean, everybody got through the sim, the sim's not that hard when you think about it, right? It's when you get there with a patient that's wiggling around and everything else in the clinic uh, environment that's so challenging, you know. How do you do the, what you learnt in the sim on, on that patient? You know, it's really hard. But um, And that's why we were so meticulous, making sure you knew your stuff before you left the sim. Yeah, for sure. And the concept Sorry, that's around going off having... Track. <laughs> No, no. Well, look, it, it all comes back to that, doesn't it? And and obviously, with what you're doing, what you're passionate about, the teaching. But you talk there about the mindset of the graduate, and you know our mindset as we go through, open mind and willing to learn, willing to find our own way. Um, you know, once we leave uni, that's just the start. We, there's so much we need to learn, but then we don't have you <laughs> over our shoulder telling us to maybe reduce that GIC lining a bit. And exactly. It's, <laughs> we have to be able to do that. So I think that's really, really it's those great. Those first advice. two years, yeah, yeah. It, yeah it, the first two time. years are really hard. Yeah, it's so hard. It's such a steep learning curve those first two years. And if you don't have that open mind um, and be willing to learn, you will find it quite overwhelming and quite stressful. And you're going to hate your dentistry. And and you don't want to do that in the first two years or even the first few years for that matter. Um, so you really have to embrace it and just, you know, let it go, roll off your back and move on. Yeah, wait until the eighth year before you start to <laughs> get a little bit yeah. <laughs> done with it. Um, we're going to get into some of the other things you can do as well. I want to talk to you about that because that's important. We need to realize that dentistry is a wonderful career that can allow us to do many things but there are actually some other options as well but I want to also ask the question what mistakes do you see um, maybe students making or perhaps early stage graduates making that you think you could help advise them on? 
Are you talking about clinical procedures or it what can type be of mistakes? Oh, um, I, I, I actually haven't been in a situation where I can see a young graduate making mistakes because I was, I was, I mean, when I think about it, I was always the young graduate <laughs> making the mistake <laughs> in my own mind, right? <laughs> um, oh, look. <laughs> What about students? Is there a key thing that students um, that you see like a little bit of a trend where it's like, oh, if I could just teach them all to like do this one thing a little bit better, uh, it would improve them overall? Or do you think okay, everyone has I, their own journey? Uh, look, I do think um, sometimes and it's it's natural when you're a student, you know, you look at these lists of requirements and you just want to finish the list and, you know, you just want to get out of there and that's fine. But I do, for me, it's... You know, when you get that treatment plan, take the time to treatment plan. You know, it's it's there. The whole story is there. The whole journey for that patient is there. So you need to – and it's not about the requirements when you get out there, you know. It's it's how you're going to keep these patients coming back to you. So you really need to treat the patient. They don't know what type of dentistry you're doing in there unless you're really bad. They really don't know what type of dentistry <laughs> you're doing in their mouth. But the way you're treating them, the way you work, you know, what happens to them when they come to your practice, you know, um, are they in pain? You know, it's all those, there's so many things you need to think about. Um, you really need to develop your soft skills and your treatment plan, it needs to be thorough. You know, you can't jump around from one thing to another because, you know, that's going to make you more money if you, you know, do all the crowns first you really do have to follow the treatment plan and what you were taught back at uni, you know, starting from, you know, your perio, making sure the oral environment is um, the best it can be before you start doing some of the more difficult reconstructive stuff. That all matters, you know. I mean, sure, dentistry is a business and that, but think about why, why did you come into dentistry? And look, and there might be some people that did come into dentistry to make a lot of money, but I can tell you those days are gone. <laughs> As you have mentioned already, Dave, you know, um, students do have a lot of financial stress and, um, and you will end up, and there are more and more dentists working for corporates and working for somebody else. So, you, you you do it because you want to help somebody. I mean, that's why I started. That's why I did dentistry. I wanted to help people, and and I know that a lot of a lot of um, students get get into dentistry because I used to do the MMI interviews as well. You know, you'd ask the questions, and they wanted to help people, and that's really deep down what most of us want to do is to help people. And if you help people, they recognise that you want to help them, and they will come back, and they will be your loyal patient. You know. And that's what it's all about, you know, happy patients, happy dentists, happy work uh, environment, happy life. Like what more is there to life? You've got to love what you're doing. You've got to have passion for what you're doing or if what you're doing creates the passion outside of work. You know, I think both of those things can go hand in hand but you have to have passion in your life to be happy in your life. And you you mentioned… you mentioned before, obviously, you transitioned into teaching. You found a real passion there and, and, and recently you've actually transitioned to another role. I want to talk about um, just quickly about the fact that there are some other avenues and that some of us do pursue other p- pathways. Um, tell us about the role you're doing now, how you found it and a little bit about other avenues for dentists. Um, well, towards the end of um, my work at the university, I, I got into um, – the continuing education department, I really um, 
not because they were right next to my office, but I really loved um, being involved with them and, and I was actually part of the committee, the Continuing Education Committee. Um, <clears throat> and I helped out that unit and because they did a lot of the hands-on stuff in the sim, I was heavily involved in that as well. So I really loved putting together those courses and, and doing that sort of stuff. And I thought if I ever was to not continue to be an academic, um, the thing is I was very – I don't like to call myself an academic. Sure, I wasn't academic in other people's eyes, but for me I was a, I was a clinician that came into academia – about 15 years um, after being a clinician 15, for 15 years. I came into it quite late. Most academics come into it fairly early, um, so it's very theoretical. They'll do their PhD early. I, I never did my PhD. So I got to a crossroads where I had to do a PhD in order to continue with academia um, or, you know, to be promoted. And for me and for, for a while, actually for a number of years I was struggling with that and I'm thinking maybe I should do an MBA, maybe I should be doing continuing professional education, maybe, you know, I don't know where I really want to be. So it got to the point where, you know, um, things were changing at, at, at the uni and um, I had to make a decision so I started looking um, at continuing education and I just – just went on to seek and punched in dental education. Uh, I had done a master in education as well, so I had my dental degree and my master of education. and And I thought, you know, what can I do with both those things? So I just and I actually did have dealings with 3M, who I'm currently working for, and I really um, liked the way they looked at the science and the innovation of, of dentistry. You know, so. There was this. There was this opportunity. Um, there was an ad for a scientific affairs and education manager, and I thought, "What the heck? I'm just going to apply." You know, going back to the science of things. You know, I I now talk about. I know about all the different types of products, and I don't know if you're aware. And I I wasn't aware when I really started looking into it that 3M makes a lot of dental products, um, and um, dental products that we were we were using at the uni. So. I started um, getting into this um, material science. Um, would you believe it? More of the academic side of things. <laughs> so I feel, feel I've developed more as an academic on this side than I ever did um, at the uni because I have time to actually look at products, um, look at what 3M has developed, talk to the scientists, you know. And what drew me to 3M as opposed to anyone else, was the actual science and the credibility and the fact that because I'd had dealings with them and while I was a tutor and I'd brought 3M in, and I'm not sure if, if you were part of that, David, where we um, we did a few, um, not experiments, but they had like a mannequin where they were testing the way you cure and the way you put your curing light, how close you get to the tooth, and there's a, a – there was a, an application on a, on a laptop that um, measured just how far away or just how um, the, the intensity of the curing light on the particular spot that you were trying to cure. So I loved, I loved the fact that they were doing that for, for purely for education. They weren't trying to sell students curing lights at the time. But, you know, when I'm on this side of it and like, yeah, that curing light is amazing and you don't realise – Curing light is like a hammer to a 
carpenter. It's something you use on a daily basis, yet we don't even look to see if it's actually working properly. But yeah, look, there's so many things you can do, but it's not its not corporate. I actually feel like I'm in a private practice, a nice private practice, and people are really friendly <laughs> and, um, and they're very helpful and they're all passionate about learning and they're all passionate about products and, and, and helping others. And, and that's how I fell into this role. Yeah, it's great to hear that intersection between your education, your academic understanding and then your ability to teach still. And I think I really like hearing that story because it shows people out there that there are other avenues than just the clinical dentistry. We have a lot of skills if it's communication or it's evidence, understanding, it's materials. Um, We can do other things if that's what we want to do. And it's I guess dentistry gives us that opportunity too because we can work a couple of days in dentistry and earn the money that allows us to do other other things. Um, Susie, I, I really exactly. appreciate your I mean, time. You've you, really David. shared so much with us and I want to ask. <laughs> <laughs> look at you. I mean, You can start a podcast, at- <laughs> start a media kind of company. <laughs> I mean, look at what you've done. I mean, you're passionate obviously about learning and you wanted to get that. I mean, and I'm sure you, 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 have, you get a lot of fun out of that, you know, and it's just amazing and that's really what you want to do get that balance find that sweet spot and just do what you like doing exactly and it's and it's unique to you whoever you are everyone has their different role and what they want to do in life i think that's really beautiful i want to ask you one last question i like to ask everyone particularly you susie because um dr d you were the person who brought us through uni and from that first day you know in that lecture theater i want you to imagine you can talk to all all graduates you know they're coming out soon it's october now um what would you teach if you could talk to every single graduate, what would be the one thing you want them to learn? What would you teach them? I would teach them that, look, knowing most graduates, how they, how they sort of, how, when they graduate, and, and I'm, I'm talking again because I always, when I, when I talk to, to students, I always refer back to myself when I was a student at that time. And so if I was to tell you, any advice is just do what makes you happy. Don't be hard on yourself. Um, there is a lot of learning that's going to be had in the next couple of years. There are going to be really shitty times, really shitty patients, really shitty um, uh, principal dentists that you're going to work for. You just need to find what works for you. You need to find your passion. Make mistakes. Mistakes are fine. Okay, but you're going to be owning the mistakes now. The tutor's not going to be fixing them for you. So, <laughs> so you know, and it's okay to make a mistake. You know, it's okay because that's where you learn. And I remember making those first couple of mistakes and I used to think, I used to not sleep at night sometimes. Oh, my God, I did that. and Or, you know, I perforated that tooth and I should have should not have done that. And, you know, that's all part of the journey, you know. Um, just Just take – you're responsible now for the rest of it. So don't be hard on yourself and just remember to to have fun along the way. I mean, that's really it. But remember to have fun. That's it. It's so important to take the pressure off in a way. You know, obviously, it is a high-pressure environment, but at the same time, you know, we're all human and we all go through the same path. And I think that's something the podcast has helped show the industry is that some of the best dentists in Australia and the world um, all went through the same challenges and the same learning pathway, and it all takes time as well. Dr. Susie Dracopoulos, thank you 
so much for coming on the Dental Head Start podcast. It's a real honor. Oh, thanks, David. I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I wish you all the best as well and everyone else that's listening. I could talk with Susie all day. I really enjoyed that and I hope you did too. Tons of little pieces of information and tips. Her passion really comes through whether she's talking about private practice, whether she's talking about teaching and mentoring people or what she's doing now with 3M. It's just fascinating stuff. And I think it really shows that there are many different pathways we can take in dentistry. It doesn't have to just be nine to five, five days a week with in private practice. Now we've got the Gripe Global segment and Dr. Lincoln Harris is talking about a very challenging situation when our patient has uncontrolled depression and the, the things we need to think about, the, the risks that can be associated with that are really important. I think this is eye-opening and worth listening to Dr. Lincoln Harris. One of the patients that you need to be really careful with, and this is not any sort of slight against these patients, I have family members with this condition, it's the patient with uncontrolled depression. I have no problem treating patients with depression. I treat patients with depression all the time. But uncontrolled depression and complex dentistry should never ever go together unless it's they didn't tell you. How do I know this? The first time I ever came across this was a patient who I had done an all on four treatment and then the patient came back and thought that they were poisoned and that they had giddiness and they had dizziness and they had all sorts of issues and eventually demanded, because the implants were poisoning her, to have the implant surgically removed and then once I did that she complained that her denture was loose. No kidding. So, don't do complex treatment on a patient with uncontrolled depression. Now, there's two ways you can tell this. The first is uncontrolled depression. Usually you can tell by the fact that the patient has not been on their medications very long or they're changing the medications or they don't think they need the medication and they're going to go off. These are all warning signs. So whenever you have a patient who lists depression on the medical history, you want to, or there's any antidepressants there, and sometimes they don't want to tell you because they're embarrassed. And look, I don't mind. I don't mind people have, I don't mind treating people with depression. I have family members who have it, but I want to know that they've been on that medication for a long time. So if they say to me, uh, I'm just on this one, it's new because the last one wasn't working, that's not controlled. That patient, I'll go, do you know what? Let's wait because I've had patients with changing medication who've made decisions which they later regret. So those patients, you need to have discipline for them. And the reason we often need to have discipline on behalf of our patient is the patient has never seen how bad things can get. So often the patient thinks, you know, they've got one friend who's had a denture and they're happy and they come in and go, I want a denture and I'll be happy. But you know that for every person who's happy with their denture, there's three that hate them. So it's your job to have discipline on behalf of the patient. So never ever do complex treatment. And that includes rehabilitations, cosmetic work, large scale implant treatments, uh, any sort of multidisciplinary treatment that will take time any of those things, if the patient has not been on the medication for a while and been stable, say no. And it's the right thing to do as a professional. As a professional, it is your job to not treat a patient until they're sound and well, and that doesn't just mean physically, it also means mentally, which is part of physically, really. So that's my top number one tip for complex work is don't do complex work on a patient with uncontrolled depression they'll make both of you regret it. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com start to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.